God has spoken to us in such pointed, powerful areas. And I'm so excited that the Lord is still walking in the midst of the church. And he still has in his right hand the stars. The ministry is still in the hand of Almighty God. And God still has a voice to the church. And I appreciate the liberation of this pulpit and the liberation of the spirit that we have felt. These men can come and open their hearts, pour ourselves out, and don't have to take a lot of time to explain, etc., etc. We're just here to be challenged by the Holy Ghost and moved by God. Thank you, Brother Howard, for the powerful message this morning. Brother Howard and I were at Texas Bible College compadres, companions, and uh, buddies. And this is the first time I've heard him preach in my life, to my knowledge. First time I've ever heard him preach. And what an awesome, powerful message. Lord, have mercy. I have heard Brother Garrett preach on different instances, and he is as the Lord. He changes not. The power, the purity, the impact. I thank God for the word of the Lord. I thank God for the United Pentecostal Church. I thank God for my brethren. I thank God for the privilege of being in this meeting. I have not come to Ark 94 because I didn't have something else to do. I try to pastor a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm not there as much as I need to be. I uh, Many years ago, if you remain standing a moment, indulge me here a second, two years ago when my daughter was very small, children can speak volumes of revelation and power. Uh, can't they, Brother Garrett? We received some of that beautiful knowledge last night. I will not divulge that publicly. Children can speak volumes of truth. The phone rang when my daughter was very small, and I picked it up, and someone was inviting me to go preach somewhere. And I asked, I got my date book, and my wife and my daughter both were booing in the background, you know, and I could tell they were not in favor of that. And I said, yes, I'll come, and we dated, and, and uh, I sat down. And when I hung up the phone, my daughter walked up to me. She must have been 9 or 10 years old. She said, Daddy, can I ask you a question? And I said, Sure. She said, are you going somewhere else to preach? And I said, yes. She said, don't they have preachers there? And I said, yes. She said, then why don't they preach? And I was trying to explain, well, honey, it's a privilege to be invited to go and preach at a meeting like this. She said, well, I'll ask you something else. She said, didn't God call you to Raleigh? I said, yes. She said, well, when are you going to do what he called you to do? <laughs> I only come because I want to see you blessed. To have everything that God has got for you. I want to share the word of the Lord, but I want you to understand my desire and my burden is that Everybody have what God's got for them. I don't believe anybody's got a corner on God. 
I don't believe God's church has got a few superstars. I don't believe the church is like the Chicago Bulls a few years ago when I read in the paper when Michael Jordan was such an uh, outstanding athlete. I read in the paper an article and it said that when he first came to that team, the coach said, give the ball to Michael and everybody else get out of the way. I don't believe that's the way it is in God's church. I don't believe God's got one man he wants to have the ball and the rest of you get out of the way. I believe God's putting together a team in North Carolina, in Oklahoma, in Texas, in California that's going to be a team for worldwide revival. And there's room for everybody. Can you say amen? Thank you for the privilege of being here. Let me quickly take you to the Word of God in jest. One of my dear friends told me he's having a Mac attack. And that lunchtime is near. I understand that. And I, I'll, I'll try to not be as repetitive as normal. I'll try to hit the points. Tell you what I feel the Holy Ghost would have me to say to you. And remember, this is me saying it. It's not somebody else. I don't speak for anybody else. I'm only speaking for what the Lord has spoken to me. I will say that there is a thread of direction in this meeting. There is a voice of the Lord. God is speaking to the church. And therefore, I will not be apologetic to step over into where others have ministered. We will simply affirm and confirm, yes, that's what the Lord has spoken to me about as well. 1 Samuel chapter 1, for our scriptural reading, I give honor to all of the ministers that are here, their wives. You are so important to the kingdom of God. You're so vitally needed in this world. I want to help you any way I can. I want God's work to be accomplished. 1 Samuel chapter 1, let us begin reading for the sake of time with verse number 5. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse number 5. But Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. And then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou would indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Then I'd like to read one selection of Scripture from the book of Proverbs, and we'll sit down here quickly. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 2. Proverbs 16 and 2. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. 
All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. I want to preach to you today for a few minutes on the subject, Hannah, the woman that hindered revival. Hannah, the woman that hindered revival. I don't know about you, but as David, I don't want to stand in the way of sinners. I don't want to stand in the way of sinners. I believe that there are people in this building today that are a few steps from a miracle ministry. I believe there are men here that are a few prayers away from a dimension in the Holy Ghost that will be the ultimate expression that you have desired. You're not far from it today. Turn around to somebody before you sit down and say you're closer to what you want than you think. God bless you. You may be seated. I'd like to bring to you from the book of 1 Samuel some spiritual analysis and synopsis, give you a brief overview and an observation of what was happening in the time of our scriptural setting. First of all, I'd like for you to understand it greatly parallels this hour. The Bible said in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and 2 that Eli laid down. 1 Samuel 4 and 13, the Bible said, Eli set upon a wall. Every time we view the priest in the scriptural setting of these verses, he was either laying down or sitting down. It was a day when the priest did not want to stand. It was a time when the ministry did not want to take a stand. It was an hour when they refused to stand. Can I say that parallels 19 and 94? When men are reluctant and hesitant to come to the pulpit and make a strong, declarative, definitive stand on what thus saith the Word of the Lord. You've heard it said, and I repeat it, if we don't stand for something, then we will fall for anything. But Samuel said... Referring to the latter's son, the least expected to be a candidate for a king. To Jesse, he said, go fetch your boy from the field, for we will not sit down until he come hither. In other words, we're going to stand until the king comes. I believe there's a generation of apostolic preachers who have made up their mind. We're going to take a stand and we're not going to sit down until the king comes. The Bible said also that the Word of the Lord was precious. It was precious in those days. 1 Samuel 3 and 2. In other words, it was rare. We are in that same period of time when the preaching of the Word has become a rare commodity. Pentecostals don't ever underestimate the power of preaching. The greatest thing we've got for us is a liberated pulpit and an anointed ministry. The greatest thing we've got to offer our church is an unshackled pulpit 
so that when men come in, they don't have to apologize for preaching this truth. You don't have to apologize for preaching what the Word of the Lord says. For God had chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Oh, hallelujah. We need preaching like we've never heard preaching before. If you're a saint of God here today, let me tell you, you need to let your minister know you want him to preach the Word. Forget about the clock. Don't put him on a time restraint. Don't tell him to do something else. Let's preach the Word. God will confirm the preached Word. Hallelujah. The Bible said there was a time when there was no vision. There was no vision. His eyes of the priest, that is, had become and began to wax dim that he could not see. One of the greatest maladies of 1994 in the ranks of this church, in the ranks of the heart of this preacher, is a lack of vision. We suffer from smallness of vision. Our vision is not as big as it needs to be. We serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God. We need to build bigger churches. And I'll tell you something else we need too. We need water in our baptistries. And we need more than one towel and more than one baptismal robe. One of our young men, you may be seated, let me hear One of our young men is getting ready to start a church in an adjacent city. And we were looking over the storefront, designing it and laying out what we could do with what was available. And when we finally looked at the plans, I said, where is your baptistry? He said, don't have one. Oh, my Lord. People can stand up. They don't have to have a place to sit down. But you've got to have a place to be baptized. No vision. The Bible said the lamp of God had nearly gone out. That represents the anointing, the revelation, the illumination, divine guidance. If we're not careful, we Pentecostals can be become programmed, ritual. Get in our velvet ruts. No spiritual direction. No spontaneity of the Spirit. No, no immediate reaction to the Holy Ghost. I think if you'll be honest with me, the greatest things you've ever seen God do were the things that were unrehearsed. Things that you hadn't written in your service order of events. But all of a sudden, under the leadership of the Spirit, I feel like doing this. And heaven came down. The key to the apostolic church is they were led of the Holy Ghost. And we need to go back to spiritual guidance. The Bible said that Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and 15, opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Apparently, the doors of the temple had been closed. This is a generation where doors are being closed to the church. I'm saying we need to open the doors to the church. Pentecost is not a closed click. You don't have to be a relative or know somebody that's in the church to get into it. This gospel is for whosoever will. Let him that is a thirst come. Anybody that's hungry, let them come. Let's open the doors of our church. Let's open them to the rich. 
Let's open them to the poor. Let's open them to the those that are in the higher rankings of our city. And let's open them to the lower levels of our city. Let's open the door to the white folk. Let's open the door to the black folk. Let's open the door to the Spanish folk. Let's open the doors of the house of the Lord. Another challenge of that day that parallels ours is the fact in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel there was an evident generation gap. And that is that the sons of Eli and the, even the sons of Samuel eventually were not what their fathers were. They were not what their fathers were. There was a generation gap. That's one reason Israel desired a king is because they saw what the other nations were doing true. But they also said, your sons are not like you. The only way we're going to preserve this heritage is not simply to have it ourselves, but we've got to produce some sons that think like we think, that believe like we believe, that have the dreams that we have or our generation will not know the continuity of apostolic ministry. So while we're preaching it, we need to be training preachers. While we're doing it, we need to be showing somebody else how to do it. These boys were not like their fathers. As a matter of fact, the Bible said that they violated the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, violated the offerings they were not willing to follow the law procedure of the right way to receive offerings. They were greedy and they violated the offerings. The next thing they did was they violated the women. Greed for money, materialism, and selfishness leads to sexual lust and immorality. When preachers want more than should be coming to them. When they begin to dabble in the offerings. That opens a door to greed and lust. And then immorality comes in. Isn't that what happened to Baker? Isn't that what happened to Swagger? And that's what will happen to us if we allow greed of gain to become our concern instead of trusting God. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. Right in the midst of this picture, like a breath of fresh air in a stuffy, confined room, enters Hannah, crying for something to be born. Hannah is crying for something to be born in a pitiful, pathetic, paralyzed, spiritual condition. She recognized the answer was not exterior. The answer could not come from outside somewhere. She began to cry, Oh God, let something be born in me that can revolutionize this circumstance, that can revolutionize this situation, 
And I believe folks have come to Ark 94 wanting to, to bear something from them. Sir, revival's not going to come to your church by any specific evangelist coming by. It's got to be born in you. We've said it for years. It can't be carried in a briefcase, but it can be carried in a chest. And it can be carried in a heart. And it can be carried in a mind. It's got to be born in us. I can sense in this meeting a tremendous intensity and anxiousness and eagerness. And there is an exuberant energy. There is an air of destiny and desperation. We're just feeling it's got to happen. We can't go on without it. Our church is dependent on us. Our world is dependent on us. Our God is dependent on us. I am preaching in this meeting to a segment of Pentecostals that are visionaries, that are ambitious, that are dreamy-eyed. If you didn't want it, you wouldn't have bought a plane ticket to get over here. If you didn't really want it, you wouldn't have driven as far as you drove or paid the expense of a motel. You would have stayed where you are. But it's in your heart and it's in your mind. You have felt that your dream is impossible. You have felt that your intention is unattainable. You have felt that your miracle is a mirage. But I'm here to tell you, the tide of divine dividend is about to splash upon the salty shores of your tear-stained cheeks because right is greater than might and direction is greater than power and proper placement and posture is greater than personal performance, perfected talents, or human precision. You may not have all those gifts, but if you'll just get where you need to be. That's what the Holy Ghost is saying to this church. God don't need supermen. He just needs men that are where they need to be. Doing what they need to do. And being what they need to be. You may be seated. Moses cried for, for glory from the lowlands. He cried for glory. He petitioned. He prayed for glory, but from the lowlands. And he became aware by God's instruction that there are some things you can't see until you get to a place that is by him. Now, Hannah has always been ascribed as the lady who brought revival to Israel. Samuel was a revival. He was a revival. But I'm going to show you today that she also hindered revival. I am a firm believer that revival has nothing to do with the devil. It has nothing to do with sin. It has nothing to do with the world. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 
Where sin doth abound, grace doth. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. This church has got faith. This church has got God. This church has got power. This church has got promise. Sin can't stop us. The devil can't stop us. World conditions can't stop us. As a matter of fact, if I know anything about the predictability of my God and His historical record, He loves to do His best work in the worst circumstances. The worse it gets, the better God likes it. Because He gets more glory out of it. i got to shout a little bit right now. I'm telling you, my God can do it. He wants to do it. Woo! Hallelujah. You may be seated. The angelic annunciation of a miraculous birth did not come to one woman alone. But it came to two. The Annunciation came to a virgin named Mary that you will have a son. But another woman was visited by the angel. And the angel told an old, married, but unbearable, inconceivable womb, you too will have a child. And Elizabeth was told, you will bear a son as well. In time, revival must not be relegated to the virgin soil where the gospel has never been preached. It must not be restricted to the front lines of virginity. But the great thing about this hour is the old barren Elizabeth. <laughs> the old barren churches that haven't had sons. I got a message for you. You're going to bear. And you're going to have sons. The God that can do it through a virgin can do it through an old barren womb. Somebody just needs to start believing it. Just because you haven't had it doesn't mean you can't have it. Just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it won't happen. Woo! It's not over till the trumpet sounds. And between now and then, you can have a revival. You may be seated. God's challenge was not Egypt. God's challenge was Moses. God's challenge was not Nineveh. God's challenge was Jonah. God's challenge was not Goliath. God's challenge was David. When God gets the church where He wants it, the victory's a cinch. So I want to tell you what's happening right now. He's moving us. He's positioning us. He's posturing us. He's placing us 
for a revival like you can't imagine. For a miracle ministry. For a release of the Holy Ghost that will be beyond human comprehension. God is getting us to that proper place. Each pastor, each church, He's bringing us to that place where He desires us to be. And that's what Art 94 seems to be all about. God putting us where He wants us. Hannah was in sorrow of spirit because she could bear no sons. It was such a grievous problem to her. She was tormented by it. She was vexed by it. She was ridiculed because of it. She was made fun of. She was looked upon with disdain and undesirable. For in the Old Testament, for a woman not to be able to bear a child bore a greater reproach than in modern times. Hannah wanted a son. And what Hannah was doing was exact, precise, and right. We are convinced if we haven't born our sons yet, if we haven't born revival yet, then we are doing something wrong. I want to tell you that most of us and you that are here are doing what is right. What you're doing is right. She wept. She fasted. You might say she paid the price, but she had no son. She, it wasn't enough. Doing what was right was not enough. You see, I recall when we were in Bible college, heavily anointed men would come by and we would line up when church was over and we'd try to get them off to the side and we'd say, uh, I mean, you Bible college boys are just brass. They, they don't have any uh, ethics and, and, and they don't mind asking you. They'll ask you some of the craziest things. And so we'd ask those guys. I remember asking Brother Kilgore, a bunch of guys standing around, they were asking him questions like, how long do you pray every day? Just come right up and ask him. How much do you pray every day? How much do you fast? How much do you read your Bible? You know what they wanted? They wanted what he was and they wanted what he had. And they had the misconception that if they would do what he did, they could have what he had. But sometimes just doing what is right is not enough. Hannah viewed barrenness, the Bible says, as an affliction, as a complaint, as a grief. That's the way she described her barren condition. She said, for me not to bear a child is an affliction. For me not to bear a child is my complaint. I'm not going to gripe because I don't have the latest clothes. Not going to gripe because my house is not as big as somebody else's. Not going to complain because of circumstances and situations. But she said, you know what I'm, I'm really upset about? I can't have children. Barrenness disturbed Hannah. Barrenness disturbed Rebecca. Barrenness disturbed Jesus. And barrenness should disturb the church. Hallelujah. 
Barren altars ought to get us upset. Barren prayer rooms ought to get us upset. Barren baptistries ought to get us upset. Barren pews ought to get us upset. Hallelujah. I want to tell you today that new converts are the lifeline of the church. It's the answer to dead services. It's the answer to lifeless, unenthusiastic services. It's the answer to shutting the mouths of gossip, fault-finding, criticism, uninvolved, lazy, gospel-hardened, sermon critiquers. Folks that just sit there and they've heard the best and they've heard the most and you can't move them with nothing. But new converts, all they have to hear is Jesus is God and they shout. Acts 2.38 is the plan of salvation. They get excited. We're not going to win our church with dead saints. We're not going to win our world with dead saints. And let me toss this out for your consideration. Jesus said, pray you therefore that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into His harvest, into His field. Laborers are not college graduates. Laborers are not men with skins on their walls. Laborers are not degreed people. Laborers are folks that just do what you tell them to do. Jesus said we don't need theologians. We don't need college grads. If I can just get some folks that are not afraid to work. If I can just get some folks that are labor. Pray for laborers. Pray for laborers. Pray for laborers. And I'll tell you something else about laborers. They don't demand top pay scale either. Laborers, they don't even anticipate making top scale. They know they're going to come in at the very lowest price. But they're just glad to have a job. And laborers are not too highfalutin to vacuum the floor. Laborers are not too highfalutin to clean the commodes. Laborers are not too dignified to drive a bus down in the poor side of town. Laborers are not afraid of homeless people and street people that need God. I must hasten on. Revelation chapter 18, notice this. I want you to notice what the latter day people cry over. I want you to notice what made them weep. Revelation chapter 18, verse 10, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, that great city of Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. The merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn. Over her. Why? For no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. 
The merchandise of gold. They weep over gold. They weep over silver. They weep over precious stones, pearls, linen, purple, silk, scarlet, wood, vessels of ivory, vessels of precious wood, brass, iron, marble. Does that sound like this generation? When they'll weep over a tree being cut down. But it's all right to kill babies. Vessels of wood, brass, iron, marble, cinnamon, odors, ointments, frankincense, wine, oil, flour, wheat, beast, sheep. The last day people will cry over trees and they'll cry over animals. Whales, owls, dolphins. Somebody help me a little bit here. <laughs> Huh? Seals, snails, <laughs> buzzards. You're getting the picture. Sheep, horses, chariots. Oh my God! Don't scratch my car. Huh? Don't scratch. Don't back into my car. I was saying the last days that weep over chariots, weep over their slaves, and last on the list, the souls of men. The souls of men. I want to ask you today, what are we going to do about our lost world? What are we going to do about our lost city? There's a variety of ideas. Some say neglect them. Some say resent them. Some say shun them. Some say ignore them. I say let's reach them. My Lord. Two denominational missionaries were having a meal in a far remote country. It was one of those situations where they had the extreme rich and the extreme poor. The missionaries had been blessed with finances. They were in the costly restaurant enjoying a palatable meal. When out on the street, beggars began to gather, stare through the window, and watch the missionaries consume their sumptuous meal. Pretty soon it became evident to the proprietor that his customers were not enjoying their meal like they ought to or he desired them to because of the poverty and the peasantry and the hunger that was in the street. And so he walked to the window and dropped the curtain so his guests could consume their food without detraction and distraction from the starving. I say we don't need to drop the curtain on Pentecost while we enjoy the dainties of the upper room. While we enjoy the beautiful feast of Pentecost, let's raise the curtain and let's share what we've got with a hungry, starving world. As is natural, men will do their best to accommodate their wives. Hannah could not be satisfied. Hannah wept and it disturbed 
Elkanah. Any man knows, at least I can't speak for every man, but I can speak for myself. There is nothing that disturbs me worse than a weeping woman. Other than at church and prayer meetings, in 25 years I've only seen my wife weep two or three times. I can't stand that. When she starts crying, I said, don't cry. Don't cry. I didn't marry her to make her cry. I married her to make her happy. That was the goal of my wedding vow, was to make her happy. And all she has to do is start crying. I melt like butter in the hot sun. Tell me what you want. Just don't cry. I can't stand it. Elkanah would come home and Hannah was crying. And nothing he could do would appease her. And nothing he could do would satisfy her. The Bible said he gave her a worthy portion. Indicating he heaped upon her gifts. He just tried to overcome that deficit in her life with other needs and other things that would try to take her mind away from her barrenness. But gifts are no substitute for sons. Gifts are no substitutes for sons. God bless you if you buy your pastor a new car. That's wonderful. God bless you if you buy him a microwave oven. God bless you if you buy him a CD player, a bag phone, or a new suit. Whatever you can do, he's worthy of all that and more. But nothing's going to satisfy a God-called, God-anointed, God-appointed, burdened preacher of the gospel like sinners on the pew to repent when he preaches. You can't give him enough gifts to make him stay where he is. But if you love him and you want him to stay, the highest compliment to him and to his ministry and to the God he represents is for you to bring guests. Gifts are no substitutes for sons. Spiritual gifts or physical gifts are no substitute for sons. Gifts are to help us win the lost, not entertain each other. Gifts are to edify the church to a place of evangelism. They're not spiritual trinkets and toys for us to play rope room in the church with. The ultimate will of God is to evangelize a lost world. Bank accounts are no substitutes. Edifices are no substitutes. Grandeur of architecture is no substitute. Community notoriety is no substitute. Programs are no substitutes. Performances are no substitutes. There is no substitute for sons. Move-ins are no substitutes. Move-ins are no substitutes. 
split off so no substitute. If all you've got is move-ins and split-offs, you haven't grown, you just swelled. There's a difference in growth and in swelling. If you hit me real hard on the head with a hammer. Come up here. If you hit me real hard on the head with a hammer, I might for a little while be as big as he is. When the knot rose up on my head.
church grows is when it becomes a part of your body. The only way we grow is at the altar of repentance. The baptistry in Jesus' name and talking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. That's church growth. People dance here, but the church is not a dance hall. People scream and shout here, but the church is not a stadium. People fellowship here, but the church is not a fellowship hall. People sing and play music here, but the church is no Carnegie Hall. We need to go back and drop anchor in the ship of Zion at the original port of divine purpose. And the church is a soul-saving station. Cigarettes need to be laid on our altars. We need the smell of liquor on our pews. We need the world coming and receiving what we've got. Bags of marijuana being thrown on the floor. Woo! Apostolic revival! I could see Hannah. Thank you for the gifts. Thank you for the gifts. Thank you for the gifts. But I got to have a son. Thank you for everything you've given me. Thank you for all those nice flowers and, and evening in Paris and, and all the roses. And, but El Cana, you don't understand. Nothing can take the place of being a mother. And the church must not become a babysitter. There's a difference in a babysitter and a mother. Now I want to emphasize my message a little stronger. are not a substitute for sons. I believe in healings. I believe in miracles. But I hear so many reports of so many getting healed, so many getting healed, so many getting healed, but nobody getting the Holy Ghost. I believe in divine healing, but the purpose of healing is to make the church whole. So she can evangelize. <laughs> if God's got a sick church, she can't reach the world. So he put healing in the plan so he could have healthy workers. Healing is no substitute. Devil chasing is no substitute. Some folks are always talking about how many devils they cast out. How many devils they cast out. How many devils they cast out. How many sinners have you brought in? Always casting out, never bringing in. You should have been there the other night. We ran the devil all over the church. Don't you know the devil lets you chase and play games with you as long as you're not evangelizing? If you want to do hell a disservice, pray somebody through to the Holy Ghost. If you want to black the devil's eyes, so to speak,
teach a Bible study and win a soul. Angelic audiences are no substitute for sons. Angelic audiences are no substitute for sons. Now, I've been watching and I've been listening. And there are certain buttons you can push in Pentecost if you need a crowd response. And the most modern crowd puncher teaser, motivator, stimulator. There's angels in this place. And all you got to say is there's angels in this place. Oh, my God. And they go nuts. You can say Jesus is here and they won't give you a Baptist grunt. tells me we're not to worship angels. We're not to worship angels. Woo! Hey! Why do we need to mess with the servants of God when we can go straight to God? Nothing should be more exciting than just saying, Jesus is in this house. I feel Jesus in this place. I sense Jesus in this house. And by the way, when the trumpet sounds, I may have plenty of time to fellowship with angels. But under then, I need to be reaching sinners. I need to spend my time with lost people. I need to spend my time with sinners. I'll fellowship with the angels when the battle's over. Let me hurry. Now, I'm going to get even stickier at this point, I know. Holiness standards and a separated church from the world is no substitute for sons. I'm afraid there's too many people trying to give God a holiness church without the ministry of evangelism. I'm not belittling holiness. As a matter of fact, I believe it like this. And this is probably, as Brother Grisham would say, a revelation that you got in 1953. But I recently woke up in the middle of the bed in the morning. I woke up. And Hebrews 12, 14 was in my mind. Follow peace with all men. And holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And all of a sudden, God gave me a little different slant on that verse. Bink! You know why the devil wants the church to compromise? You know why the devil wants the church to get worldly? Because our holiness on the job, in the school, in the community is the only way men can see the Lord. 
We have relegated that to judgment. That without holiness you can't see Him. But our world can't see Him unless there's a holy church. Hey, when you walk by the cigarette machine and you don't buy one, they see Jesus. When you drive by the bar and you don't go in, they see Jesus. When it's a hundred degrees outside, but your sleeve links are right and your dress links are right, they see Jesus. And the devil knows without that, our world can't see him. In my simplistic way of preaching, I have always given particular attention to repetitive phrases of the Bible. Because I believe God didn't have but so much room, Brother Voss, to talk to us. And I don't think He would waste His breath or the penmanship to be repetitive if it wasn't important. I want you to notice something about Hannah. The Bible said in 1 Samuel 1 and 6, the Lord had shut up her womb. The Bible said in Samuel 1 and 5, the Lord had shut up her womb. There's something you need to see here. Hannah's barrenness was not the result of the physical. It was not the result of a biological error. It was not the result of a geographical location. It wasn't a personality problem. Because revival comes only from God. It demands a supernatural intervention. What He opens, no man can shut. And what He shuts, no man can open. So it doesn't have anything to do with the physical. It has nothing to do with who your daddy was or who your mama was. It has nothing to do with what state you're in or what city you're in or what kind of personality you've got. You may not be a Dale Carnegie or a Zig Ziglar. That has nothing to do with apostolic revival because the God that shuts the womb is the God that opens the womb. We can plant and we can water, but God gives the increase. And upon this rock I will build my church and accept the Lord build a house. They labor in vain that do labor. Turn around to somebody and say, God's got to do this. God's got to do this. God's got to do this. I didn't build a church in Raleigh. If there's one there today, he built it. If there's one saint there today, he built it. I tell you that Hannah was doing everything right. She wept. She fasted. She petitioned God. She was doing everything she knew to do. 
But the answer came <laughs> to her unfruitfulness and unbearingness. In verse number 8, when her husband said three times, Why? 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 Why are you weeping? Why are you not eating? Why is your heart grieved? Hannah had her what? Right. But her whys were wrong. And because of that, she hindered the miracle birth. I will tell you, she was the factor that God would use to bring revival. And she, since she's the object it would come through, is the only factor that could hinder it. Since the church is the factor that God will bring revival through, a church is the only factor that can hinder it. God, along with Elkanah, wanted to know why. And Hannah's answers were like this. I'm tired of being laughed at. I'm tired of my adversaries provoking me because I have no sons. I'm tired of my husband trying to pet me and soothe me when I'm non-productive. I want sons to remove my reproach. I want sons to revenge my adversaries. I want sons to please my husband, to affirm my physical relationship and my motherhood. All of her watts were right. But her wives were wrong. Her miracle was delayed because she had the wrong motive. God is not interested in you being the biggest church in town so you can brag. God is not interested in you having a miracle ministry so you can get a demand going and start traveling the country and join the jet set. That doesn't move God one iota. The pivotal point and decisive factor came in this form. I ask you, why do you want revival? Why do you want church growth? It's not enough just to be able to say it hadn't been done here ever before, but it's happening now. God's not interested in that alone. God's not interested in your ministry doing what others have failed at doing. God is not interested in you winning the Sunday School Attendance Award to get a... a plaque or an award. Why do you want a revival? Why do you want growth? Why do you want the blessing of God? Why do you want a miracle ministry? Why do you want a number one release if you're a songwriter? Fame. 
finance, reputation or exaltation, personal aggrandizement, personal advantage, personal acknowledgement. There is a spirit of openness in this place. There is a, a deep spirit of sincerity here that probes at the preacher. Can I confess to you something this morning that I don't know that I've ever said publicly? I feel like saying it, maybe to help somebody. I remember the day when I could go to a general conference and didn't know a soul there. Not one person. My first general conference was in Houston, Texas, and I remember walking in there in my mouth dropping down on my chest. I was just, ha. Oh. And I knew nobody. And nobody knew me. My daddy has been an alcoholic all my life. I have no ministry in my roots. I knew nobody. And people would walk by me and I knew them. Has everybody heard of them? And they wouldn't even say hello. Some of them I'd been raised with that were way ahead of me in notoriety of the ministry. I remember one of them stopped me one time at a general conference. And, and, and he was, we might say, high rolling. He was in the jet set. And he came by me on an escalator. And he didn't say, hey, how you doing? We'd spent a lot of time together in our youth. But all of a sudden, he didn't know me. He didn't speak to me other than to say, Hey, my daddy's looking for you. Then there came a day when things began to change. And for some mystery to me, I'll never understand other than the fact that I'm trying to live what I'm preaching. People began to invite me to come sit here. Come ride with me. Come to my church. Come speak at my banquet. Come. We're going out after church. Me and boy, they'd drop some names. It would make your head swim. We'd like for you to come. Go with us. Me. I'd get on the elevator with them at conferences and they knew my name. And they'd say, buddy, how you doing, pal? And I'll be honest with you. All of a sudden, I began to wonder. Wasn't long ago, you wouldn't even say hello. And then here's where my battle came. When I needed you, you didn't know me. I don't need you. Maybe I don't know you. So I have a problem with that. And I have made it my goal not to limit my fellowship to a certain number that you pastor. 
or a certain number of places you've preached. But who you are, my brother, And I still feel awkward in those places. But here it is. And I'll quickly close now. The magic moment of momentum swung in Hannah's favor when she cried and said, God, forget my reproaches. Forget my adversary. Forget what my husband thinks. If you will give me my son, I'll give him back to you. And she conceived when her motive was right. she could say, God, all I want is to give something to you that could change my world. If I could give something to you, I believe that's why Mary was chosen, the virgin, to bear a world, a Savior. Because she walked by the blind and said, I wish I could open your eyes. When she saw the lame, she no doubt thought, I wish I could give you back your legs. When she saw the funeral procession, she no doubt said, I wish I could give you a resurrection. But when the Holy Ghost said, I'm going to call something to come upon you, Mary, it's going to be born in you. And what's going to come through you will open the eyes of the blind. And what's going to come through you will raise the dead. And what's going to come through you will stop the funeral procession. If we can reach a place where we could say, God, what I want is something to give to you. Not something to give me a bigger car, a better home, a more secure financial picture. Not to move me into the elitism of Pentecost. Not to make me a name. But oh God, if you'll give it to me, if you'll give it to me, I'm going to tell you, the Holy Ghost is searching right now for a vessel He can trust with a ministry and a revival that will shake our world. But God wants to know why. Why? Have you ever, I know it's not right, study of Scripture would prove it's not right, but have you ever been in that desperate place where you needed a miracle from God in your revival or in your church? Have you ever wanted a gift of the Spirit to function? Have you ever needed something supernatural so bad that you were willing to do anything to get it? I have, and I know this is not right, but I was so hungry for it and I wanted it so bad. I said, God, if you just do it, I won't tell anybody I asked for it. 
If you'll just do it, I won't tell anybody my hand was on their head. If you'll just do it, I won't tell anybody it was while I was preaching. I just want something to give back. You know why I want a bigger church in Raleigh? You know why I want a greater revival in Raleigh? Number one, Calvary paid for a bigger church than I pastor. Number two, the world needs what we've got. Number three, if I can pray more souls through, my Sheets for Christ offering will go up. My Christmas for Christ offering will go up. My world missions offering will go up. And I can raise more preachers, more evangelists, more pastors, more missionaries. I'm not wanting it, God, for me, but the world needs it. Would you bow your heads? You know what to do. And what you've been doing is right. But the pivotal point is, why? Do you want a reputation? The Bible said He made Himself. <laughs> he made Himself of no reputation. The Holy Ghost has been talking to us last night and today. I feel Him in this house right now. I found a Hannah. I found a Mary. I found a lad with a lunch. One that would give it to me. One that would put it into my hands. What I had put into his. I blessed it. I broke it. I gave it. And today I look for another vessel. I'm ready to multiply. I'm ready to bless. I'm ready to produce. 
Will you give back to me what I have given to you? <laughs> Will you give back to me what I have invested in you? I am searching. I am looking. I am calling. My people respond to me. A hungry world is waiting. Would you come? Would you come? Would you be found of him today? Would you come?